I'm Chris Martin, and this is Half Hour of Heterodoxy. The show is produced by Heterodox Academy. You can find out more about us at heterodoxacademy.org. You can also find us on Facebook under Heterodox Academy and on Twitter at HDX Academy. My guests today are Caroline Mell and Rafi Grinberg. They direct the Open Mind Project, which is associated with Heterodox Academy. It's an educational project, which we'll talk about in the show in greater detail. But briefly, it's an interactive tool that you can use yourself or deploy in a classroom to teach students about perspective taking and intellectual humility using principles from psychology. There are beta versions for Open Mind as well for use in corporations, organizations, and religious communities. You can check out OpenMind at openmindplatform.org, and you can also find links to it on the Heterodox Academy website. You can also follow them on Twitter at OpenMindUSA. So here are Caroline and Rafi. Welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having us. Hi, this is Rafi. We're so happy to be here. It's good to have you on the show. So we're here to talk about the Open Mind Initiative. Can you tell me a bit about how this initiative started? Um, sure. So I can begin by uh, kind of telling you a little bit about my background and how I came to this project. Um, I I actually studied English in undergrad and um, began my career in private equity. And kind of pretty quickly into that experience, I realized that that wasn't what I was really primarily interested in doing. And I pretty quickly developed a deep interest in psychology, specifically positive and moral psychology. And I wasn't really quite sure yet what I wanted to do with that, but I had this kind of idea of really wanting to translate that type of information into a really applicable kind of um, tool that could really help enhance people's lives and and help people communicate more effectively across differences. And so that kind of thrust me on a journey that brought me to a social entrepreneurship fellowship in Israel that had a positive psychology uh, component. And um, then I actually moved to DC for another fellowship before um, starting my master's degree at Oxford, where I was actually using the lenses of positive and moral psychology to explore aspects of Jewish thought and ritual. So I began my interest in moral psychology really more from the religious perspective rather than the political perspective. But that's how I first got in contact with Jonathan Haidt about uh, three years ago now. And so we kind of began speaking about our research interests. And I, I really love John's work. And um, his, his book, The Righteous Mind, really kind of radically transformed the way that I saw the world and, and had so significantly impacted my thinking that I just knew that that was kind of the work that I wanted to focus on going forward. And so I was really lucky to begin this relationship with John around three years ago. And he became a really great mentor to me while I was doing my master's and kind of thinking through next steps. And and after I completed my master's, he really encouraged me to come back to New York and work for him at Heterox Academy right when um, Heterox Academy was really getting started. So this was this was a year after it began as a blog, but it was it was becoming more of a, of a full organization in around the fall of 2016. So this was also right around the time of the 2016 presidential election. So I actually joined uh, Heterox Academy full time, I think the week after the presidential election, because I was, I was just kind of struck by the state of the political discourse and how polarization had become such, um, a problem in our country. And I, I felt really strongly that John's research and his work in this field was really a significant answer to these questions. And so that's when we really started to begin to conceptualize 
what has become open mind and we started thinking about how can we how can we figure out a way to translate that academic research into something that's really engaging and accessible and that can be widely disseminated to people to really teach them kind of the psychology behind what divides us and how we can use that information to better understand ourselves better understand others and to use that to engage in a more civil and constructive way across differences and so that's kind of how the project first began um, and so we we began kind of thinking thinking about this this project and and really the guiding questions to us or the guiding problems at the beginning were both kind of the national polarization that we were seeing and how people were becoming so polarized, moving so far apart that it felt as though we had really lost a common language and we were just kind of reaching this point of impasse in, in conversations. But we are also growing more and more concerned about the state of uh, civil discourse on college campuses and that this issue wasn't just a national problem, but it really had a kind of particular form on college campuses, uh, specifically kind of beginning in 2015, but really accelerating in 2016 and 2017. So we were thinking about creating something that could be a really useful tool that could be used both in individual college classrooms and really incorporated into first-year experience programs orientations. And so that's, again, how we, we thought more and more about how to kind of um, create some type of online program. And so that's where the kind of, we started, we started thinking about the content that we wanted to teach. We wanted to teach kind of a range of key psychological concepts that would kind of ease people into understanding the roots of their political biases, how they form decisions, how that can cause them to be self-righteous and blind to, uh, faults in their own reasoning. And, um, and then also explore like what are the roots of our political positions and political opinions and how can we use that knowledge to better understand others. So that's how we began to form the content. But uh, we realized like we really needed to make this accessible and we need to make it engaging so that students would actually want to do it. And we needed to create something that could just be widely disseminated. And that's where Rafi came in. It was really a game changer for us because he um, introduced us to this great kind of software technology that allowed us to build Open Mind into this. Yeah, and I can chime in there too. Um, I came to Open Mind through Caroline, actually. She's the one who introduced me to Jonathan Haidt. Originally in undergrad, I majored in math. And then like Caroline, I worked in the private sector as a management consultant for Bain. And while I was in college and at Bain, sort of my favorite project I was working on was a math textbook that ended up being published. And I realized my real passion was in education and specifically making education that's scalable. So I went on to work for a couple of ed tech startups one was related to psychology and mental health. Um, there's a program called Uplift to use cognitive behavioral therapy online for people with depression. And the other one was um, a product that I started called Dollars Ed to teach young people personal finance. And throughout that time, I developed this method of turning content into something that is scalable by being interactive online, so accessible by any number of people completely for free, in which they can interact with the program and their answers to questions impact what they see next. They answer lots of questions, they frequent interaction. And my um, research and, and work in the past has been about how do we translate best practices in the classroom? What makes a good, a good teacher a good teacher into education that isn't necessarily someone lecturing at you online, but using some of those t same techniques to keep you engaged and, and reinforce the learning. So some of that was similar to maybe personality psychology? The past projects I worked on were related to cognitive psychology in the realm of CBT and then personal finance. Um, and the ed educational aspect of it was related to research around basically best practices in education and translating some of what we can observe outside of the online uh, world into the online world to make things that are more sticky than the notoriously unsticky MOOCs. 
right? Yeah, having been on a couple of MOOCs, I can vouch for your assessment of them. So uh, going on to OpenMind itself, tell me a bit about the content on OpenMind as of the current version. Sure. So um, OpenMind is structured as kind of like a journey that brings people from point A to point B through five interactive steps that take between 10 and 20 minutes to complete. And so the first step really begins by asking the question, what's the value of viewpoint diversity? What's the value of talking to people who we disagree with and might really um, think that their views are distasteful? And so we explore like why that's actually valuable for an individual. Um, then we move on to uh, step two, in which we teach growth mindset as a mechanism for fostering intellectual humility. And we think intellectual humility is a really key ingredient to this uh, for two reasons. The first is that it, it kind of reminds people that we don't all know everything and that there's a lot to be learned from diverse perspectives. But then the second thing is it really also prepares people to enter into disagreements and, and conversations that have conflict in them with a different perspective where it, it no longer has to be about proving that you're right and winning the debate or the argument. It's really more about this. An it's an opportunity to learn from the other perspective and um, explore and, and find growth through it. The third step is uh, kind of a deeper dive into psychology where we explore the inner workings of the mind and we start to expose people to the different cognitive biases such as confirmation bias, motivated reasoning that we often uh, fall prey to and that really kind of affects our judgment and is kind of the root of why two well-informed, well-intentioned people can look at the same set of facts and reach widely different conclusions. We then move on to step four, which is kind of a primer in moral psychology. So we begin by exploring the notion of the moral matrix. So this idea that we all belong to a consensual hallucination and we perceive reality as objective, but in fact, it's the subjective interpretation. And then we explore uh, moral foundations theory and how we develop our moral and political intuitions and how these differ across the political spectrum. And that's really where we begin to foster kind of mutual understanding and an empathy for the other side by showing where the roots of these differences are and how we can then use that understanding to really communicate much more powerfully with the other side by kind of speaking in a language that resonates with the other side. And then the fifth step is more kind of practical where we weave together all of the concepts that we've that we've covered in the first four steps, and we translate them into really practical advice that people can then use to engage in constructive disagreement. That's a great overview of the structure. Um, I can elaborate a little bit on that last step because that's my personal favorite one. The techniques that we offer for constructive disagreement, half of them are focused on you yourself and the other half are focused on the other person. So when we talk about yourself, we help you learn some strategies actually from cognitive psychology for evaluating your instinctual thoughts, um, the ones that kind of come up and tend to make you defensive or react in negative ways when you're encountered with an opposing opinion. And how do you manage those thoughts? How do you reframe them into a more positive or constructive way um, before you even respond? And then the second half of techniques focused on the other person, a lot of it actually draws on the wisdom of Dale Carnegie, who wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People, um, as well as some other psych psychologists who discuss how to deal with other people's intuitive responses, given that we know that people tend to react in certain ways, might, you know, do their, their judging and emoting first and then thinking later, um, what are some methods for dealing with that? And there's some pretty simple and, and practical things that, that we want the user to come away with, like, instead of saying the, the words, you're wrong which is a typical way to open an argument, um, instead to turn it into a constructive disagreement by just saying, that's interesting. Why do you believe that? 
And I've seen the power of this firsthand. I actually did um, a version of Open Mind in my class at Boston College yesterday. And some of the students were commenting on this exactly, that they noticed their first instinct is to sort of charge into battle and, and try to prove the other person wrong. And they're explicitly told instead, just ask questions. Your goal isn't to win or to look smart as Caroline mentioned, and is the focus of one of our steps. But instead, your goal is to learn from the other person, understand their viewpoint better, which in the long term will help you get closer to understanding what the truth is um, as a sort of a joint effort. You know, when you're talking about that, it reminds me of John Gottman's work on healthy relationships, that's romantic relationships and marriages, and how he talks about, among other things, starting, I can't remember the exact way he phrases it, but starting softly. So if you need to dispute something, trying to start in the weakest, least assertive way possible, not being unassertive, but just not coming out and saying you're wrong or this is terrible. Uh, I actually use that. So when I used to teach happiness, I used to put the lessons about relationships and a lesson about organizations back to back because dealing with romantic relationships is in some ways just dealing like it's it's similar to dealing with any human relationship. And one of the things you have to figure out is how to work out disputes in a way that just doesn't lead the whole relationship to deteriorate. So it's it's interesting that there's this overlap between John Gottman's work from the last couple of decades and Dale Carnegie's work from, I don't know, 60, 70 years ago. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's super interesting. And I think it's exactly right. And we talk about sort of that first step similarly in a, a conversation, right, of being less about your first reaction, your instinct to prove yourself right, um, and more just about opening it up. And, and again, the focus being on what can I learn from the other person. So I can't speak to every romantic relationship out there. But I will say that my wife says that our communication skills have gotten better since I started working on Open Mind. <laughs> so we've gotten N equals one endorsement there. <laughs> All right. Well, I should interview your wife to see what she about this stuff. All right. So moving on to the issue of trustworthy versus untrustworthy news sources. Like you have college debates where students in a classroom might be talking to another, but then you get out into the real world and you have the problem of fake news. And that's on everyone's mind now because it's a buzzword, but really propaganda has been around for a long time. We've got the Rupert Murdoch-owned media, which are essentially propaganda channels and other countries of the world. You've got other types of very obvious propaganda. So there are sources of information that are unreliable, that you have people being paid to reach certain conclusions in their research, even people who are quote-unquote scientists with PhDs. So how do you work on this issue of people being judicious about what media or what information to trust and what not to trust and how to tell the difference? Uh, Chris, that's a great question. And we're just beginning to think about uh, how Open Mind can really address fake news. And I think that there's another element there that Open Mind speaks to, which is the notion of fake news really kind of tapping into our human psychology. And so there was this recent uh, study done by scientists at MIT that explored uh, the nature of fake news. And they discovered that fake news is actually much more likely to be spread and disseminated through uh, humans rather than bots. And the hypothesis is that human beings are more likely to spread fake news because it really is kind of tapping into our human psychology by um, exposing us to news that is kind of more novel, negative, and also really arouses emotions. And so that's kind of an element that we think open mind is a really novel solution to because if these if these problems are so inherently um, 
as a result of our of our specific human psychology, we think that empowering people through psychology is the best antidote for it. And so a real kind of driver in that is, again, this, this emotional arousal component. And so what we believe Open Mind does is it really reduces cross-partisan hostility and it kind of brings down that temperature and helps people um, be kind of more cognizant of that and and resistant to it. But then there's also, as you mentioned, kind of the critical the critical faculty level of of assessing the nature of the news and discerning whether or not news is real or fake. And uh, Rafi, I know that you really enjoy speaking about critical reasoning, so you can kind of answer that side. That That's a great answer, Caroline, and that's exactly what we're working on. On the individual level, we think that fake news will continue to spread as long as individual people are prone to the cognitive biases that, that sort of everyone is born with of being more likely to look for information that confirms their side of things, you know, the confirmation bias, and more likely to dismiss or find counter arguments for information that might disconfirm their existing worldview. And we've noticed a, a really cool thing, which is as soon as people are just taught about this bias, um, they start to notice it more in their own thinking and their own behavior, and they're more likely to seek out alternative viewpoints. And there are a lot of promising other organizations out there that are starting to think of ways to combat fake news, to enable people to sign up for services where they can see the other side of an issue. They can get a newsletter that sort of breaks out of their bubble or their echo chamber. Um, but of course, the individual people need to be motivated to do that in the first place. And that's where we think Open Mind can have the, the real power of understanding why you're prone to this and motivating you to get outside of it. Is there going to be any kind of element that is more specific and says these media sources tend to generally be trustworthy, they tend to employ fact checkers, and these other sources don't? We don't do that so explicitly yet, but going back to how Open Mind is structured, as I mentioned, there's kind of this core five-step component, but what we're planning to do in the future is build out these additional elements, that additional modules that you can kind of stack on top of them that do a deep dive on specific issues. And social media is really a key concern that a lot of people are talking about. So that's one of the modules that we plan to develop that will really get into the specifics of what you're describing. So on that topic, uh, what are the other enhancements that are coming up in the next couple of years? Um, sure, a couple of years. Uh, so we have a lot on the agenda. And so I think uh, we, we're thinking right now about Open Mind in terms of improving and increasing the content and also increasing our our rigor in terms of measurement. And so in terms of the content, we are constantly responding to feedback that we're receiving from our users and really incorporating that into the core content to revise it and make it more and more effective. Um, but we're also moving now more to um, really bringing theory to practice and developing these kind of short behavioral interventions that we can include within the core content that will motivate people to actually bring the concepts that they're learning in open mind to their behavior in daily life so that they'll become kind of habitual and that this will have a lasting staying power of the effects of open mind. Um, but then beyond that, as I mentioned, we're also planning to, to develop these add-on modules that will do a combination of either deep dives in specific issues. So one is social media. Another one is really doing a deeper dive and exploring the roots of our political differences. Another topic that we're um, thinking a lot about is diversity in general and how open mind can kind of lay the foundation for those more difficult conversations around diversity. And then another issue that uh, we're, we're thinking a lot about is interfaith dialogue and how open mind can kind of lay the, lay the foundation for that. And then beyond the issue areas, we're also thinking about developing modules that explore different um, 
different kind of cognitive techniques. So one is critical thinking. Another one is creativity and design thinking. Another is is exploring more uh, cognitive distortions and how we can dispel those cognitive distortions. Um, but then, Rafi, do you want to speak to uh, what we're planning on doing on the research end? Yeah, absolutely. And I can sort of echo your initial reaction of thinking about this on the time scale of years because we've been thinking about on the time frame of months, we've been moving pretty fast. And we've actually been blown away by how fast things have been happening and how widespread and, and I guess, uh, responsive the interest has been. Like We launched Open Mind in November um, with a test run of, of a bunch of professors who were using it in their classroom. And then we made the, the bigger version publicly available only a couple of months ago. Um, but so far since the beginning, we've had over 2,700 users uh, complete at least one step on this journey. And we've seen so much more interest coming to us from organizations, from more uh, college classrooms, high school classrooms, individual users, even some corporations. So we're doing as much as we can to keep up with the demand and constantly improve things based on the data, like Caroline said. And part of that improvement comes on the side of the assessment. So what we currently do to measure the impact of Open Mind is we have a psychometric assessment that asks a series of questions, on trying to understand the user's attitude um, when it comes to intellectual humility warmth towards the other side, openness to diverse viewpoints. And we ask these questions both before they start the app and after they complete the five-step journey in the app. And we've already begun noticing some interesting changes, but one thing we're working on is improving the quality of that psychometric assessment. So we recently brought on Matt Motel, um, our new research director, to improve the quality of the assessment and make sure it's rigorous, and also to think creatively about other ways that we can assess the impact. So instead of just asking users to re- self-report, to report their own attitudes, which of course is prone to certain difficulties, like people might inflate um, their, their positive qualities, we can actually measure things through creative kinds of tests. Like before you use the app, right, what do you think of the supposing argument? And then see if your reaction is different once you complete the app. Um, we're also thinking about using in the future some sophisticated uh, language processing techniques to analyze how people write responses to questions and are they using more or less vitriol or more or fewer different um, logical errors or cognitive biases before or after they complete the app. So I guess the takeaway from all this is I would emphasize that right now we've seen some really promising effects coming out of this initial data, but the quality of how we assess the data is going to be improving over time, just like the app itself. Yeah, another interesting thing that might be worth trying if you've got a lot of people within the same university or the same geographical area working on the app is getting observers, classroom observers, to observe the classroom on the first day of class versus the post, uh, post-intervention post phase. I'm doing some work related to that myself at Georgia Tech, and I'm looking at these methodologies, and they seem pretty cool because you don't have to worry about self-report and the biases in self-report. Uh, is, is Matt working on any other initiatives as well, other than the psychometrics? Yeah, well, to your point, actually, we were that, that's a great idea and something we definitely want to do. We, we saw there were so many different ideas of how to measure effect in so many different promising areas where Open Mind might have an effect, um, that it's sort of more than, than we can do, even with Matt joining the team. And so we actually put out a call for proposals so that other researchers who are uh, PhDs or even full professors can conduct their own research on Open Mind, um, people who are in the field of psychology, but also so even sociology and economics. And we've received, I think, 12 proposals already that we're starting to look through, which is really exciting. So it basically means that Open Mind is expanding beyond the realm of our little team and other people are going to be using it and studying it for their own research. Do you want to add anything, Carolyn? 
yeah, I could also add that another uh, research method that we're exploring is looking at uh, pre-post language on social media and behavior in social media and whether using open mind changes people's um, interest in fake news, the, their willingness to spread fake news, and also just kind of the civility of their discourse online. I think the fact that you can draw data from social media and run it through uh, automated language analyses is pretty cool. And we've just seen more papers using that methodology recently. So uh, lastly, I just wanted to talk about the professors who are using it. I know you've got a lot of professors using it. How are they learning about it? And what have you heard from them in terms of things they like and things they want to improve? Yeah. So so far, Open Mind is being used or planning to be used in over 100 different college classrooms and somewhere between 10 and 20 high school classrooms just in, in this current academic year, which is really exciting. Um, and the response has been, for the most part, very positive. Like a lot of professors basically tell us they want the same thing, but more of it, right? They want more additional modules added to Open Mind. They want more creative ways that they can assess it or follow up on the materials in their classrooms. So one of the big things that we're working on right now is adding an in-person component to OpenMind in addition to just the online platform. We currently have a version of this, what we call the OpenMind Workshop, that a professor can use with their class after they've done the assignment on their computer or on their phone. Um, and I did a version of this workshop in my class yesterday, like I mentioned. But we're working right now on vastly fleshing out those workshop materials and coming up with other lesson plans and ideas of ways that instructors can incorporate the key teachings of Open Mind from all the different areas of psychology that we cover, um, not just into one day of the classroom, but into many days over the course of their semester. So I'd say that's sort of the main point of feedback we've gotten from the professors is they want more of that, more ways to to integrate open mind. Um, and one of the other things we're doing in response is, is what Caroline actually already mentioned about behavioral interventions, that we want open mind not just, just to be a one-time educational activity, but an ongoing behavior changer. And we've seen that behavior change is complicated, right? There's a whole world of, of research and literature on it. But one of the key components beyond just the learning and understanding aspect and even the motivation is actually integrating things as habits. So we're building a tool that's going to be called the Habit Builder, in which users can pick some of these um, what we call life hacks that we offer in Open Mind, choose which ones they want to incorporate as habits into their own lives, and then use a, a, somewhere between 10 and 15 different evidence-based techniques for turning them into habits over the course of their semester or longer. I just want to add to that that we really are seeking to to catalyze uh, cultural change. And, and like Rafi said, we don't want this to just be a standalone assignment. We want it to become a part of the culture and a part of the discourse. And that's really also why we're focusing now on being incorporated into first-year experience programs or orientation programs, because our goal is to really equip an entire community with this shared set of languages, language and practices that they can all refer back to over the course of the year and over the course of their college experience. And if you have an entire student body that has the same set of um, se same set of words or vocabulary that they that they use when they're encountering conflict or when they when they reach a disagreement and they also have they have practiced the same kind of behavioral techniques, then it can really change the culture and set a more positive tone for for the entire college. And when it comes to habits, were you talking about the types of habits you were talking about earlier, like the Dale Carnegie principles, or is it something different? Yeah, that's part of them. So what we currently have in the platform is a set of life hacks. We call them ways to, to hack your life to improve it based on what we teach. And those are pretty simple and straightforward. So to give an example, the one of the ones that's based in Dale Carnegie's work um, that I mentioned is instead of saying you're wrong to someone, just say that's interesting 
tell me more. Um, another example is in order to help foster more intellectual humility and, and related to growth mindset to add the word yet when you say that there's something you can't do. So I don't know how to solve this problem yet. Those are pretty simple and straightforward things to do one time, but in order to actually incorporate them as part of your, your sort of daily being it takes a lot more work and takes a lot of reminders. Um, and so that's where we're incorporating some of that behavioral research to, to build the habits. So some of the techniques that we're using range from pretty straightforward things like, you know, you want to give yourself an incentive. So go and pick out a reward that you can give yourself once you've done this X number of times to things that are a little bit more subtle and the ways in which we can use the technology to, to give and, and serve these reminders to people. Yeah, you know, what might be interesting is if you're focusing on habits is to do a podcast, but one with a fixed number of episodes, kind of like serial on NPR, except about habits rather than murder. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe, uh, you know, 10 episodes, one about each habit and then end the podcast because a lot of people, I mean, a lot of college students and other people will listen to podcasts while they're driving or working out. And if you don't want people trying to download the tool, that's another, I mean, it doesn't hurt to try is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, I, I'm also a fan of audio and podcasts in general, such as this one. Um, but I think what, what we've been focusing on with Open Mind up until now is the interactive element that you can get from the online learning. So the, the program that we have that you can use on your phone or your computer isn't just about reading and, and seeing visuals, but also responding. And that responding is key to reinforce the learning and help people really integrate it rather than just passively listening, occasionally zoning out and never having that chance to answer review questions that really hammered into your brain. That's a good point. Anyway, it looks like it's about time to wrap up. Do either of you have any closing thoughts? Yeah, Chris, we're we're both and, and all of us at the Open Mind team are extremely excited about where this is going and the potential that it has. I, like Caroline, have always been interested in what we can do to improve the health of our democracy. And just to zoom out, I see it as there are two necessary elements that we all need, right? We all need to be able to live among a diversity of people, not just diversity in terms of our appearances, but in addition, diversity of how we think. And we need to be able to learn from each other and not just passively live as neighbors and be okay with our differences, but actually make positive use of those differences. And I think the solution to both of those things, the way to help people do both of those things, right, to live together and to learn from each other is to learn how to have these conversations. Um, and then part of the conversations are things that might be easy and come naturally to some people. And for other people, they're pretty difficult and things they may have never tried before. Um, and part of that is just that they've never learned these skills. And so we think that we can empower people, individuals, one at a time in the classroom or even on their own if they're you know adult ongoing learners, um, with the knowledge from psychology and the skills from psychology that they need to do those things, to engage in those conversations and therefore be more understanding and, and better contributing citizens of democracy. And that change rapidly scales when we do it on the level of an entire classroom, or even thinking to the future on the level of an entire college campus, or the level of an entire organization of working adults, that we're giving people not only the individual skill sets, but also the communal language they need. And so our goal is that one day in the far, far future, open mind won't even be necessary because everyone will know this stuff and everyone will be using these things on a day-to-day -day basis. So we can only hope. That's a noble goal, but it sounds like you'll be in business for a while. <laughs> All right, Caroline, did you have anything to add? or No, I think that Rafi summed it up beautifully. So thank you so much again, Chris. We really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. And once again, for our listeners, if anyone wants to try out OpenMind, the URL is openmindplatform.org. 
Caroline and Rafi, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, maybe we'll do a follow-up a year from now to see what has been enhanced and where things are going. That'd be great. Thanks so much, Chris. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.